You know, there are weeks when everything in your life kind of goes as expected, then there are weeks when you know that it's going to be a little different than you were expecting, which was this past week, because Kyle was going to be gone for four days. And then Kyle's asthma flares up, and Jack stops sleeping through the night, and my stomach acts up, and all of a sudden your week is significantly different than you were expecting. But um, I say all that to say I'm so thankful for those of you that came alongside us in prayer, for those of you that helped um, either hang out with me or watch Jack so that I could sermon prep. Um, I'm just so thankful for the spiritual family that God has placed us in and just what a gift you all are to us. So thank you um, for that. Uh, this past week, Kyle talked about, in week one of our vision series, about a passion for the lost. And, and this is week two of the vision series, and we're going to talk about partners and about power. So I'm feeling a little less uh, nervous about this illustration than I was in the last service because someone actually kind of seemed to know what I was talking about. But um, I, as I was prepping this sermon, we're going to be looking at the same passage, and we're going to be looking at um, partners and at power. And so I, I was thinking about remembering this thing from my childhood that, like, it's like a word search, and when you would put the red thing over it, you would see certain words, and when you'd put the blue thing over it, Elaine's nodding, you'd see other words. Okay, I'm seeing nodding. See, here's my problem. I spent way too much time this week Googling it and could not find it. So my question was, if it doesn't exist on Google, does it exist? But you all are telling me that it does, so I'm thankful. So um, I say that that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're gonna, first, we're going to look at this passage, Luke 10, through the filter of partners. So let's uh, turn to Luke 10 and start in verse 1. I also want to just say as a caveat, I'm kind of fitting two sermons into one here, so you can be glad that I'm preaching this morning and not Kyle, because we'll still get out on time. So I'm a little, I can be a little more abbreviated. Um, all right, verse 1. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. If you've been around at Regen for a while, you maybe have heard this passage. It's kind of our go-to passage when we start talking about evangelism. Um, you've maybe studied it in a small group or if you've been in a huddle. Um, but today, we're going to look at it very specifically through this idea of partners and this idea of power. And starting in verse 1, um, we'll look at the partners filter. And it says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. It's easy to miss here that Jesus intentionally sent them out in pairs. Like, I think for me, as I used to read this, I would think like, oh, 72, that's a big number, and kind of miss the fact that actually there were 36 pairs of disciples that he was sending out together to do his work. In our circles, there can be um, a lot of jokes about if Jesus sent two disciples to get the donkey for him when he rode into Jerusalem. Like, if that required two disciples, then probably anything else should also require at least two disciples. Um, and often we don't 
think in that way. We don't kind of have that mentality. It goes on to say in verse 2, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now, usually when we're thinking about going out and reaching people, we're generally thinking, at least I feel like, I don't even know who to go to. Who are the people, like it doesn't feel like there's that many people in my life who are interested in Jesus or who are interested in the things of God. It feels like our culture actually is pretty anti-God and pretty anti-Christianity. As Kyle was saying earlier, there's a lot of people with a lot of issues with the church. Maybe they've been hurt by the church. Maybe they've been hurt by people who are Christians. Um, But in this verse, Jesus doesn't emphasize the lack of harvest. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying there are so many people who need to hear the gospel. It's not a lack of people who don't know Jesus. It's a lack of workers who are willing to go. He doesn't even mention praying for the lost, but he specifically says, pray and ask God to send more workers. To me, that's almost an upside-down way of thinking. I've spent most of my Christian life praying for the lost, praying that God would bring them, and that's not a bad prayer to pray, but it certainly has not been, um, there hasn't been as much prayer for workers to be sent as there has been for the lost. And so this is something that really caught my attention. But the good news in this plea for more workers is that we're not being asked to go alone. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you, go and harvest that whole field on your own and have it done by tomorrow morning. Right? That's kind of how we feel sometimes when we start talking about evangelism. It's like, okay, I I need to tell everyone in my life and in my circles who don't know Jesus about Jesus tomorrow. Like, they need to know by tomorrow. And instead, Jesus is inviting you to go with a partner. And you might be thinking, like, how important is it really to have a partner? Because in American culture, we kind of like to do things on our own. We kind of like to be rugged individuals who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make our own way. But Jesus really is highlighting this for us. And as I was thinking about what is our hesitation to have partners, I got to thinking, almost all of us have done a group project, right? Like... We've, we've been there. We've done that. We've tried to do something with other people. If, if nothing else, you've probably tried to take a family picture, right? Like, that's a group project. So who's wearing what? How do we get the kids to look forward? How do we keep this kid from screaming? Like, there's always that one relative that has the weird smile every time, you know? And you're like, natural, natural. And they're like, I am. So we know that group projects are challenging. Others of you might be thinking, I love partnerships. I love delegating to other people. I love cheering on people while they do the hard things I don't want to do. I'm a great support person, so I will stand back and pray for you while you go and share your faith. That's totally my favorite. So I was thinking, like, okay, so what kind of, like, what's a partnership that is the kind of partnership that we don't want to have? So again, I'm Googling, and I finally find Shrek and Donkey, (laughs) right? Like, This is the kind of partnership we don't want. We don't want someone kind of just blundering their way through life while someone else comes behind them with snarky, annoying comments. Like, I don't know about you, but I've got enough of that going on in my own head. I don't need a partner who is also, like, contributing to the problem, right? And so I think a more powerful image that kind of goes along with this agricultural harvest, like, metaphor is that of oxen. And so when we're talking about partnership, we're talking about two oxen who are yoked together, harvesting a field. 
Now, again, even though I grew up in South Dakota, we don't like have oxen, right? They have tractors and stuff. But I think we all know enough to understand that when two animals are yoked together, if they're not moving toward the same goal at basically the same pace with the same amount of determination, they're not going to reach their goal, right? So if one oxen just stands still, the other one's not going to get very far because he can't pull the weight of the other oxen and everything else behind it. Or if one oxen breaks free and runs off, the remaining oxen is not going to be successful um, in tilling the soil. And I think this illustration is also powerful because it's about, so much of evangelism is about tilling the soil. So in this journey of sharing your faith, it may be that all you're doing is tilling the soil. It may be that you're kind of just having some conversations about Jesus and what he's doing in your life, and that it may take four or five other Christians coming into their life and reaffirming that before they say, like, yeah, I think I want to follow Jesus. Like, this is something that I'm interested in. And so we have to remember that evangelism is also a process and that it requires perseverance. We see this pattern of partners working together to spread the gospel throughout Acts from the very beginning of the church. So in Acts 3 and 4, we have Peter and John preaching. And then we see Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 through 15. And we talked about this, about how Paul and Barnabas split. They had a sharp disagreement and they split ways, but they didn't go alone. Barnabas took John Mark with him in Acts 15. Paul took Silas in Acts 16 and 17. We see Paul working with Priscilla and Aquila as they're making tents and spreading the gospel and even teaching Apollos in Acts 18. And we see Paul and Timothy working together in Acts 20. And so as I was reflecting on this and thinking, okay, if from the very beginning of the church and if like the pillars of our faith didn't strike out alone for the most part to share the gospel— then who am I to think that I should have to do it alone? Who am I to think that God's asking me to bear a greater burden than even they took on themselves? And so there's this invitation to, to forego our American values of individuality, of pulling ourselves up by our bootstrap, and to partner with others for the sake of the gospel. There's a verse that's often used at weddings, but I want to talk about it in this context as well. That's Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can, and be, but two standing, two can stand back to back and conquer. So there are three things that I kind of see partners can do for us out of this passage. The first is that encouragement. When you fall down, when you feel discouraged, when you feel like you want to give up, when you're tired, that partner can come alongside of you and say, it's worth it. Let's keep going. Let's keep praying. Let's keep persevering. The second is accountability. That accountability can help us keep the message be the main thing. Sometimes when we're so surrounded by our culture, it's easy to be distracted by kind of the voices of our culture and to let it water down the message of what we actually believe. And we start to think, maybe this isn't that big of a deal after all. And so that, that partnership can, can keep us accountable to not give up, to keep the message the main thing. And they can also keep us accountable to keep seeking the Lord for breakthrough. I don't know about you, but praying for family is one of the hardest things I think we can do sometimes, because it's so easy to kind of look at that situation and just say, like, I know how it's going to end. I know what choices they're going to make. I know what's going to happen next. I've seen it a million times. But when we have partners that come alongside of us, they can say, 
let's keep seeking the Lord together. Like I, sometimes they can have faith in ways we can't for our loved ones because they don't have some of the same preconceived notions that we do. And so it's so valuable to have those people come alongside us. And the third thing partners can provide is reinforcement. And by that I mean there's another voice sharing their experience with the truth of the message. We're already seeing this with Jack. He's only two, and there's things that we ask him to do. No, no. Miss Randy asks him to do it. Yes, right? Um, we all see that in our lives, that sometimes people, we can, we, doesn't mean we stop saying what is true. It doesn't mean we stop persisting, but sometimes they need to hear it from someone else. They need someone else to come alongside and say, Jesus changed my life too. I am free because of what Jesus has done for me. And so it's so important to bring those partners along. So you might be thinking like, okay, this sounds great. How do I do this? Or, or what, what's my next step? What do I do? Here's just a couple of simple steps that you can do to bring partners along as you share the gospel with your neighborhoods, networks, friends, and families. The first, I know this is going to be shocking, but is to attend a blessed group. <laughs> um, the blessed groups, uh, yeah, I know. Where did that come from? Um, the blessed groups exist not just to give us some content on how to reach our friends and families and neighbors, but they exist to give you support. So it's an eight-week journey. The whole idea is that you're coming alongside other believers who are trying to do the same things in their circles. You're praying for one another. You're supporting one another. And so it's just an encouragement to, to journey together in that and experience how Jesus wants to kind of bless you through that. The second is when you think about where you're kind of trying to reach, so either like your neighborhood or maybe your workplace or your family or your friends, is to find a coworker or a family member or a neighbor or maybe like a, a fellow team parent or dance parent and ask them to pray with you. So find someone who loves Jesus, who's in the same circles you're in, and say, let's pray together for this group of people, whether that's your neighborhood or your family. And if you, you know, you may be saying, because there's been moments I've been like this too, I don't know anyone like that. Like, that sounds great. I don't know who that would be. Then my invitation would be, ask God to highlight if there is someone that you're not aware of. So Father, like, who in my circles knows you that maybe I don't even know? And let us kind of journey together. Or you could also partner with someone from here in your spiritual family at Regen. And so that could look like, let's pray together once a week. Like, I'll be praying for your people. You pray for my people. Let's hold one another accountable in our prayers. Let's encourage one another as we take this journey. Um, but I just want to encourage you to take one of those steps and to not let kind of this feeling of there's just no one stop you from moving forward because it's so easy to do. Now that we've looked at the partner filter, let's put on the, the power filter. So we're going to look at verses 8 and 9 of Luke 10. And it says, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. And kind of another uh, vignette here of Jesus, this is in the message version from Matthew 9, 35 through 37. It says, then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke, so confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Jesus didn't just share the good news of the gospel. He leveraged the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and wholeness. Jesus didn't look at lost people and kind of see how much they were suffering and just say, believe in me and all will be well. Instead, he shared the gospel and he healed them. 
not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally as well. Now, my guess is that some of you are kind of thinking, I will take a hard pass on this healing conversation. That's just way outside my comfort zone. Or at the very least, that's just not really in my skill set. Like, healing is not something on my resume, right? Um, But I would like to add that you don't know that yet, right? You can't really know unless you've tried. And even if you've tried once or twice to pray for healing for someone, you, you may not have seen any results. You probably haven't. Um, as Kyle and I have kind of ventured more into this and talked with people, um, it, it kind of turns out that if you don't pray for anyone to be healed, you probably won't see anyone be healed, right? Like if you pray for zero people, that's how many people are going to be healed. You could pray for 100 people and see 5% of people healed, which would be, what, five people. And as we've talked more and more with people who have kind of had these experiences, the theme that I've seen is that it has often taken them years and multiple times of praying for maybe even hundreds of people before they've seen breakthrough in this area, before they've seen healing. And so um, I think we have to know that we're in this for the long haul. Like you can't just say, I'm going to pray once, and if it doesn't happen, then I'm, I'm out. I primarily grew up um, in churches where healing and deliverance things were done in other countries, usually by missionaries or other super-Christians, right? Like, it didn't really happen here. We don't really need it here. We've got doctors. We've got medicine. We've got counselors. So, like, we're, we're kind of good here in the U.S. But I really think this is one of the ways that the enemy deceives us and lies to us and limits us in what we can see God do. Um, Obviously, the medical care that we have access to is a gift. The doctors and nurses and medication and hospitals, those are a gift that a lot of the world doesn't have. But it isn't the final word on our healing. We still know people who have incurable diseases. We still know people that are suffering, and God wants to bring healing to them. And we definitely live in a culture where it talked about earlier, Jesus said that they were confused and helpless. We definitely live in a culture where people are confused and helpless. It does not take long on social media to figure out that people are overwhelmed, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're kind of feeling tossed to and fro, there's constant uh, chaos and drama. And people sometimes jump from social justice cause to social justice cause, and they're confused about why they're tired and why they're angry, or they completely reorient their lives around a cause or a passion just to find out that they still feel pretty empty. So what can cut through this aimlessness, this helplessness, and this confusion? The Holy Spirit and his power. So here's the question, though. Who does the Holy Spirit use to display his power today? It's us. It's you. It's me. We're the conduits. The followers of Jesus are the the conduits of the Holy Spirit. In a passage in John 14, it's verses 12 through 17, Jesus says that we will do even greater things than he did. And I remember hearing that for the first time and thinking, they must have misread that. Like, I don't remember ever seeing that in Scripture. Because if you start kind of flipping through your mind about the things that Jesus did, right? He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He healed people. Like, some days I'm just lucky to get through my day without biting someone's head off. Like, I'm not sure that I'm, like, doing greater things than Jesus did. But let's look at this passage, starting in verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, 
Ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then he goes on to say, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So after Jesus does this talking about how we'll do greater things, he moves into talking about how God the Father will send us the Holy Spirit. And I don't think this progression is accidental. There is no way that we can do greater things than Jesus did except by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God the Father. Because this isn't about us. It's about Jesus. His invitation um, for you is to keep seeking and to keep looking until you find these answers that you're looking for about the Holy Spirit and his works and his power in our lives today. But what about those of you who are cynical or skeptical? You may be like you believe in Jesus, but when it comes to this stuff, it's just a bridge too far. How do we move from being skeptics to healers? How do we move from being comfortable to courageous? I know that my own cynicism and reluctance wasn't born in a vacuum, and neither was yours. It may be that you prayed for healing for a loved one. It may be that you're currently walking through an incurable illness or living with a lot of pain. It could be that you lost a loved one to addiction, or maybe like your past trauma just will not let go of you, right? And so in these moments, we, we question God's ability to heal. We question his ability to intervene in our lives. And I wish this morning that I could have easy answers for you. I wish I could say, here's three Bible verses. Go home and just be well. But the reality is, I don't know the mind of God. We walked through three miscarriages. We prayed through all three of them. And yet that's, that was the ending. And, but here's what I do know on the other side. That God is good that he desires healing and wholeness for us. And for some of us, that might happen in a moment, and for others of us, that might happen over a lifetime. Um, But the Father wants us to continue to seek him and to continue to be praying for healing and freedom and wholeness for the whole world. It could be, though, that you're just someone who's really scared of stepping outside of your comfort zone, that this is just really scary for you. And if you're honest, it's just a little more comfortable to kind of keep Jesus to yourself and kind of just rock your Christian life over here in the corner, feeling really like cozy with Jesus. And the thought of praying for someone for healing is just too scary and too hard. So I ask again, how do we move from skeptics to healers and from comfortable to courageous? Well, in Mark 9, we see an example of someone struggling to overcome their unbelief in the face and presence of Jesus. And this is Mark 9, 17 through 27. It says, One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought you my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, Since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. 
Anything is possible if a person believes. This is the part I want you to get. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear or speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. I think a great starting point for the skeptics and the comfortable among us is this prayer. Help me in my unbelief. God can handle your questions. He can handle your cynicism. My invitation is to engage with him with those. So often we use our doubts as an excuse to just continue on with our lives unchanged or unchallenged instead of truly seeking him and asking him to reveal to us. And I just want to own that this is, a, this is an area of struggle for me. It is, um, you know, step one is praying for someone for healing. So, like, that's a hard ask. Like, can I pray for you for healing? Kind of knowing that in myself, I'm not sure I have the faith to see God do that, but I'm going to be obedient. Okay, so that's difficult. So that's step one. Step two is, I'm going to ask you after I prayed for you for healing, do you feel better? This is where it gets really awkward, right? Like, I don't mind praying for you, but then I'd like to just leave that between you and Jesus, and you can just go home and figure that out. I don't really want to be, right? And then, like, the next step is, can I pray again for you? Would you be comfortable for me to pray again with you? Do you feel any different, right? But again, it's this, these steps, these baby steps of growing and in processing. And if we don't ever try, we will never see anyone healed. Like if we don't take the step of faith, then God can't, can't work through us. He can work through others, but he can't work through us if we won't take this step. And I say all that to say because I think the next part of the Holy, power of the Holy Spirit challenge is that we have to be comfortable with a certain level of risk. And I am not comfortable with risk whether that's because I'm your pastor's wife or your discipleship director or your friend, or I just, I want to do the right thing in the right way, preferably at all times. Please, Jesus. Doesn't happen. Right? And this is an area where I am not in control, and all I can do is be obedient, and so I can, there is risk in what happens. So this past weekend, we were part of a uh, 3DM conference, and I was part of the prayer and prophetic ministry and what that looks like is you're in a Zoom with two Zoom room with two or three other people, hopefully who have done this before if it's your first time like it was mine. And then people just pop into your Zoom room for 10 to 15 minutes. You pray for them. You all share whatever passage scriptures, pictures, words, whatever the Lord brings to mind, and they pop out and you like just keep going. And one of the first times I was with a missionary um, who is just really gifted in this area and just, you know, like, is kind of going, he can just pray and pray, and the Lord just gives him so many words and images and stuff. And so I'm feeling really intimidated because I'm like, I, this is, I'm way outside of my comfort zone here. And um, the first time it started, he had, like, seven pictures, and I had, like, one. (laughs) And the next time it was two. But one of the things I I realized in that moment was the only way I could fail, especially in his eyes, because he's, like, a very much, like, go-for-it kind of person, the only way I could fail was by not trying. The only way I could fail is by just sitting in that Zoom room and keeping my mouth quiet because I was too afraid of doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing. And as I did that, I think I did it for, I don't know, four or five hours last weekend, um, I 
stand before you saying, I am positive that I did not get everything correct. I'm not, I'm sure that not everything I said was exactly from the Lord or exactly what the Lord wanted or, you know, like I'm sure that there were moments that I got it wrong. But I think the encouragement and the building up of the body that I saw as we spoke scripture over people, as we encouraged them in the truth of who they are and who God says that they are, the encouragement that I received from that, I would have missed out on that blessing if I hadn't risked, if I hadn't taken that risk. And so we have to increase our tolerance of risk if we want to engage with the Holy Spirit. We have to be comfortable knowing that we're no longer in control, which is actually good news because we don't want to be in control anyway. We think that we do, but the reality is that we don't want to be. Um, I just want to share one other story about taking risks. So um, we did Alpha last fall, and one of the parts of that was a Holy Spirit weekend. And so we get on there, and, and the way they pray for healing is they ask for the Lord to kind of give knowledge of what needs healed. So this is like an even further step. And then say like, okay, does anybody have this issue? Let's pray for them. So we're sitting on the call, and again, um, all of a sudden, like, we're praying that, and my hand starts burning. And I'm like, nope, Lord, I am not we're not doing this. Like it's, because I always want to be careful. Again, I'm the pastor's wife. I don't want to be manipulative. I don't want to, you know, make, like I just, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, we keep praying. And and I'm like, no, like, please do not make me do this. So we get to the part where we, everyone has to say like, okay, after we pray, did anybody else have any, you know, experience, anything that the Lord seems to be telling them? And I'm like, just anyone else, please, just anyone else say something. No one says anything. So finally, I'm like, I I was kind of like, Lord, like, could you just make my hand like burst into flames so I know for sure, like, before I do this? So I'm like, well, actually, my hand is like, my right hand is burning and thinking like, you know, no one's going to say yes or if they do, this is going to be really awkward. And so sure enough, Preston on our staff is like, uh, I burned my hand tonight. <laughs> and, so, and so now, again, we have to do the fun thing of I have to say, like, okay, can I pray for you, knowing that then he has to say back to me, like, no, it's still the same. And then I have to say, can I pray for you again? And then he has to say, no, it still feels the same, which is exactly what happened. Um, bless him. Because um, I was like, do not lie to me. Like, tell me the truth. Um, but I say all that to say that, like, this is hard, and it is scary in moments. And so even maybe when Kyle and I are talking about this, we are on this journey with you as well, and we are learning, and we are growing, and there are these moments where I am like, Lord, like, this is a bridge too far. Like, this is craziness, Um, and yet Jesus meets us there each time, even if it's not fully in the way that we wanted Preston's hand healed with burn cream and band-aids and, you know, and went on with his life, but I want to encourage you that you can take risks. He wants you to take risks, and he will meet you when you do. Um, And so I want to talk about just two ways to start growing in dependence on the Holy Spirit. The first is to attend our worship and prayer nights. So I don't know, you know, you might hear worship and prayer night and have like a very specific thing in your mind, maybe thinking we're just singing worship songs or we're all sitting here praying quietly. But it really is a time where we come together, we do sing, we worship together, we invite the Holy Spirit's presence, we have a time of listening prayer to hear what God's saying to our spiritual family and to one another. We share any scripture passages or words or pictures that we get. It's a really safe way to just take a step of faith and to step out and try some of this stuff. I asked someone about why they come to worship and prayer nights kind of trying to pursue Holy Spirit. And they said, I would say showing up is a form of chasing the Father's heart seeking a corporate encounter with the Holy Spirit. To me, it feels like a physical way to show him I am serious about knowing him better and a different way to spend time with him. So that's just one invitation. Come to our worship and prayer nights. A second um, avenue for growing an understanding of the Holy Spirit is the Naturally Supernatural Conference that's going to be here at the church October 1st and 2nd. 
We're still getting the registration link stuff figured out. That's coming this week. Um, but even if you didn't attend the first two conferences, I would still invite you to come. I think you'll benefit from it. You'll learn. You'll grow. It's such an um, encouraging and building up time. And I actually asked someone who was really skeptical about attending the last one, but who did, um, what they would say to someone considering coming, especially if they were kind of skeptical or cynical. She said, yes, I went with some hesitation and skepticism, but the rewards were definitely worth the effort of overriding that hesitation. I was so glad that I chose to attend the last one and certainly plan to go to the in-person one in a few weeks. So again, it's just the invitation to come and see. Come and see what God's doing. Come and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I just want to close with this. Friends, um, there are so many obstacles to us sharing our faith. We have our own hang-ups and hurt, our doubts, maybe past experiences where it's just not gone well. Our schedules are busy. We have our own things that we're trying to deal with within our own families. But the good news is that Jesus, as he always does, offers us a better way. He offers us a way where he sends us with partners that encourage us and support us so we don't have to go alone, so we don't have to face that on our own. And he sends us with the Holy Spirit whose power gives us the ability not just to bring spiritual healing, but to bring emotional and physical healing as well. We don't have to go alone. We don't have to be powerless. So now my question for you is, will you go? Heather's going to come up and, and lead us in response time. So we're just going to take a moment to just think back on what we've heard, reflect, and see how we can respond. Um, there's so many questions that you could ask from that, so I'd like to just make it super broad and just ask, what is the Father saying to you? So it could be, is it that we need to be asking someone to pray with us? Is it the bless group or the prayer night, um, whatever it is that you feel like the Father's saying to you this morning, and uh, Lane's going to play while we reflect on that, and then I will pray for us. Father, thank you that you don't just let us be comfortable. Thank you that you are teaching and that you're here with us for the whole thing. Um, I'm so thankful that Jesus sent out people two by two and that we aren't in this alone. God, would you just heal the places in us that need healing the places that make us think that we aren't worthy to do this or that we can't the places that 
make risk-taking too much. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name. Amen.